I'm disappointed in you, Devadra Start. <laughs> I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we are picking up where we left off. This is part two of chapter 18, Wishes Fulfilled of Madship. We're going to dive right back in. We left off with the Vestrit family in Trader Restart's carriage on their way to the Bingtown Trader meeting. Devad had just gotten finished telling the rumor that he has heard that Satrap Cosgo was on his way to Bingtown. He wasn't just sending a courier, he was coming himself. Which surprised all of them, of course. However, they were interrupted as they had just arrived to the concourse itself and were getting ready to disembark. Devad has to help push the door from the inside as his servant pulls from the outside. Yeah. And almost falls out of the carriage, which... Althea stops and gets him upright again and then notices that Greg Tanir is waiting for her and he seems to have been on the lookout for her. Yep. At the top of the steps outside the trader's concourse, he's loitering. She describes what he's wearing and says that it showed a substantial amount of well-muscled legs and sandaled feet. Somehow he managed to look both the daring sailor and the serious trader. He was, she admitted to herself, a very handsome man. I, like cannot get over the image <laughs> of Greg Denira, just this like big beefy muscly boy in sandals with bare legs like is he wearing under anything under this trader's robe is anybody or is this robe the outfit you know what I mean I think like, it's the outfit you don't wear anything under it I mean whatever I mean, the equivalent is underwear yeah. yeah but that is so funny to me I <laughs> I don't know why, but that image just sends me into a fit of giggles every time. And I'm here for it. I love it. I love that he girt his skirt so that he's wearing it in the old seafarer style, which means that he's wearing a mini skirt in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's tied to the side in a little (laughs) mini skirt fashion. Love it. We love to see it. Upon seeing him, she thinks about the message that he had sent back after she sent him one about Vivacia, saying that his immediate reply had been as warm and supportive as she could wish. He would stand beside her and even do his best to see that she received time to speak at this meeting. He had written that his family and Ophelia shared her concern for Vivacia. So we have full support from the Tineras as well. Right. So she quietly excuses herself from everybody and rushes up to meet Greg. And as he straightens, he murmurs, I should have thought to send a carriage for you. Next time I shall. Oh, Greg, it's only Devad. He's been a family friend for a long time. He would be very hurt if I refused to ride with him. With friends like that, it is no wonder the Vestrit fortune is foundering, Greg observed tartly. For an instant, her heart turned to ice. How could he imply such a thing? But his next words reminded her of how grievous his own situation was, and her feelings toward him softened. She talks about Ophelia. Or he talks about Ophelia, excuse me. I need Althea to be so serious right now. What do you mean, how could he say that? 
You know exactly how it looks to be seen with Devad. Literally you, just thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe he would say the thing that I thought in my head less than an hour although, ago. Although he does go a little bit further and just imply that the whole fortune is foundering because they're keeping Devad as a friend. I mean, fair. But still, is he wrong? <laughs> yes, it's not Devad's fault. <laughs> but I mean... Maybe the Vestrich would be in better standing politically and publicly if they right. didn't stand so fiercely with Devad after everything. <sighs> it just actions speak louder than words. And the Vestrits are saying, we don't like slavery. And then also have a son-in-law who's using the family ship to be a slaver and friends with the dude who's bringing slavery to Bingtown. Right. Which is it, you know? So Greg turns to Ophelia and says that she's completely bored. She wants to sail again, and she begs that I find a way for you to come along. I told her I could think of only one. He grinned engagingly at her. Again? Althea? Touch grass. I don't know what is up with this girl. She... And that was, she asked curiously. <laughs> and in her brain, she's so excited. She's like, oh, he's going to ask me to, he's going to hire me to be a mate above the sh aboard the ship. He's going to give me a job. I'm so excited. I mean, obviously things will be a little complicated right now, but I'm going to get a job on Ophelia. That's so exciting. <laughs> he reddened and looked aside, but the smile still played about his mouth. A hasty wedding and a bridal voyage. I suggested it in jest, of course. Such a scandal as that would raise. I expected Ophelia to scold me roundly. Instead, she thought it a wonderful idea. He gave her a sidelong glance. Incidentally, so did my father. She brought it up to him, not I. He paused and looked at her expectantly as if he had asked her a question. But he had not. Not directly. Which, true. That is yes, true. It was that's, very... That's very passive of you, Greg. Greg, man up. Just a little bit. I don't say that, but also, but like... bad time. Bad... Bad timing, but like... Very bad timing. Why would you... That's not a proposal. And why would that be the way that you're like fishing to see if she wants it? Like, no, buddy. She <laughs> you're better not, than this. Yeah. She can't keep the confusion from her face because, you know, she can't accept such an offer while her own family life ship is in danger, of course. Her distress only deepened when she glimpsed Brash and Trell standing at the bottom of the steps to the concourse. Their eyes met and for an instant she could not look away. And she still doesn't say anything like. <sighs> so Greg's just sitting there like, I don't truly expect you to consider it. He said hastily. He tried not to look hurt. Not here. Not now. We both have too many other concerns just now. Tonight may resolve some of them. I hope it does. As she... do I, she responded. But it was difficult to put much warmth into her voice. It's so hard. I think this is why I really don't like Althea right now. Just. Let him go, babe. Yeah. You don't like him at all. You can't even muster a fake courteous, haha, good joke, anything. Instead, you just ignore him and then look at some other dude with confusion on your face. Greg right there is completely shut down and he's trying to sound like he's not very hurt. And then she says too much was going on behind his shoulder. Brashen looked at her as if she had stabbed him to the heart. Oh, so you notice that Brashen feels hurt. But not Greg. <laughs> My boy, Greg. Oh, I can't. It's hard because Greg is kind of a, a bit of a dunce here for thinking right, that yeah. this is appropriate timing at all. What a great proposal, too. Also, 
no. <laughs> Why would you do that? Like, I just, but, he's yeah. making bad choices too. But for some girl, that would be perfect. It's just not Althea. And, and that's fine. It's fine. But Althea should be better she should cut it off she yes. knows she doesn't like him and i don't understand why she can't just admit that maybe because if she admits she doesn't like him she has to admit that means she likes brashen which right. is not true you cannot like people equally i mean obviously <laughs> she does like brashen but just because you cut off ties with greg doesn't mean that that means you have to go straight to brashen i don't know i just don't like it i don't like that she's toying with our boy greg it's not nice <laughs> Then we find out that, well, Greg is kind of upset that Brashen is, is there. He's like, what is he doing here? I think everyone kind of feels a little, Brashen is the bad boy, reject. He has bad influence. To be fair, <laughs> Greg is the same age as Brashen. Yeah. They went to school together yeah. and Brashen for sure got Greg into trouble when they were kids. Oh, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like there's no reason. Yeah. Also, Althea talks about Brashen a lot and is always defending him and now is sitting here staring at Brashen instead of him after he's just kind of sort of proposed to her. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I get it. And then we find out that Amber's there with Brashen. Is that Amber with him? Why is she here? Why are they together? Althea had to look. I don't know, she murmured. Quick question. Do we... Get confirmation one way or the other if Amber goes into the Trader Council. I do not know. Not sure. Okay. Because if she does, what are the rules? If I she doesn't, know. why doesn't Althea see her when she leaves the hall? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But Amber is staring daggers at Devadra Start. Some vexatious fate had ordained that every facet of Althea's life would collide with every other tonight. Tavadra Start had fixed his eyes on Greg Tanira. He was hastening toward them. But before Devad can get up there, Ronica and Kefria get up there with Malta. And Ronica looks directly in Greg's eyes. My daughter Althea may sit with you, Greg, if you wish. I know you have important matters to discuss. Greg bowed formally. Ronica Vestrit, you honor the Taniras with your trust. I vow we shall be worthy of it. I, too, thank you for allowing this, Althea replied formally to her mother. She had to admire the woman's foresight. Now she could take Greg's arm and steer him into the hall before Devad puffed up to them. At least that confrontation would be avoided. She tries not to think of how that would look to Brashen hurrying Greg away on her arm. Right. Then she also notes that... It is traitor tradition to sit with the family of somebody that you're seriously courting. Yeah, so and it's public knowledge now. Yes. If Althea sits here, it means that she is publicly announcing that she and Greg are courting each other and that they are in a serious relationship, which instantly makes her want to run away from the situation. But she decides that'll look worse because it'll look like they had a disagreement. So she decides to just grin and bear it. She'll suck it up. It's fine. But I do just want to say, didn't Althea just say she doesn't want to be a woman who is seen as jumping from man's opinion to man's opinion? Right. Why wouldn't she sit by herself or with her family? Well, she was trying to, she was comparing that to Devad Restart and hoping that the, him 
arriving with her did not overshadow what she was saying. Right. So she didn't want to look like she was going from Devad Restart's side. And then when she goes over to Greg, she's taking his side. So she's just hoping that no one brings up the Restart thing. Mm. I don't know. Either way, it feels like she could have stayed with her family if she wanted to stay away from being seen in the light of being with a man, especially because she talks so much about wanting to be her own person and she wants to be seen right. as Althea Vestret, not the peop- the men around her, which is totally fair and valid and should happen. Obviously, it's not going to because that's not how this society works. But you'd think there were there'd be something she could do to not make it worse <laughs> than it already is. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe there was no good option here. But it's also weird to me that she is fine to pretend that they're seriously courting each other in this moment when she knows she doesn't like him. Right. I I don't know. Uh, She gets brought over to his family and she is uncomfortable with how quickly they're claiming her. But they're all there to support her. The sister, her mother, Greg's mother... Everyone is just like, yep, we're here all together and this is going to be wonderful. And she's just like, mm. <laughs> I just kind of ignored your son's proposal. So, yeah, Althea, maybe I shouldn't be claimed. Althea is so interesting because she keeps making all the choices that will shackle her down and constrain her and choosing people and paths that lead her to the point of not being able to make her own decisions or be as independent as she wants to be. And then being really upset that she can't make her own decisions and isn't as independent as she wants to be. I just don't understand why, why she feels like that makes sense. (laughs) Right. Well, we get a little look into the traders council now and we get noted that all of the Trader Council members have ascended the dais and they wear white robes to indicate that they have surrendered their family allegiances for now for the purposes of these meetings. How do you think the white-robed people get selected? Is this like a vote? I guess voting. Okay. That would be my guess. How often do you think they vote? No idea. Either way, there's also people in black robes, which indicates that they're the bouncers, basically. Yep. So if things get rowdy, they're the peacekeepers and will eject Keep people. people. Out. Yeah. yeah. She is scanning the council members and doesn't really recognize any of them. <laughs> and she thinks that her father would have known which were his allies and which his opponents. She had no such expertise. The chimes that indicated the beginning of the meeting rang. Voices quieted. Althea breathed a brief prayer to Sa to guide her words. She could have made it a much longer prayer. In a wordy opening speech, the council had declared that there were several topics to cover, so he thought it best to dispense with the simpler disputes first. Althea lifted a querying eyebrow at Greg. She thought this meeting had been specially requested to hear the tenure of family concerns. He knit his brows and gave a small shrug. And so there are a couple small disagreements that need to be worked out first, And they take a while. Yeah. The first disagreement is that there is a stream slash river that runs through 
two properties and one side says they need the water to divert to their crops and the other side says they need the water to give to their cows and they can't decide who gets claim to the river because they both think it's theirs. And so the council says, obviously, you both need to use it then (laughs) and devotes three people to the cause of figuring out how to best divide the water to make sure they're not interfering with each other, which is the quick version. And then the next problem arises and it's not as quick. Apparently, one of the traders prized bulls had gotten out of its pen and impregnated the stock of cows next door that was a different trader's cows and both say that they're the victim the the owner of the bull says that he is owed stud fees and the owner of the cows says that the bull owner was neglectful in keeping the fence put together and he wanted to breed with a different stud and so he's lost the profit now and these won't be good and eventually they decide whoever has Whenever the babies are born, the profit must be split between the two. And that's how that's solved. (laughs) So finally, we get to the Tanira family. And the head of the Bingtown Trader Council announces that. And no sooner had the head of the council announced this than a trader stood to address the council. They recognized Trader Daw, who spoke his obviously rehearsed words quickly. This is not a proper matter for the trader's council. Trader Tanira's grievance is with the satrap's tariff office, not with another trader. He should take it up with them and let the council devote its precious time to matters that concern us all. With a sinking heart, Althea noted that Defad Restart was seated right next to Daw, nodding soberly to his words. Tommy Tanira stood. The old sea captain's taut shoulders strained the sleeves of his trader's robe. His fists were knotted at his sides. He strove to keep the anger from his voice. When was the trader's council reduced to a nanny quelling squabbles between siblings? What is the trader's council if not Bingtown's voice? The grievance I present is not between the tariff officer and me. It is about an unjust tax levied against all ship owners. Our original charter called for 50% of our profits to go to the satrap's coffers. Outrageous as that is, our forebears agreed to it, and I willingly abide by it. However, nowhere in that charter are these tariffs mentioned. Moreover, no document anywhere says that we must tolerate murdering, thieving Chalcedian mercenaries in our harbors. Tommy Tanira's voice had begun to shake with fury. He strangled into silence, trying to regain control of himself. Devad Restart came to his feet. Althea felt ill. So he basically says that all Jamalian merchants pay these tariffs. Why should we be any different? He's our good and just ruler. We need to help him with fees and all this sort of stuff. The fees benefit everyone. It goes to upkeeping the dock in Jamalia. And then also saying, the very qualities Trader Tanira disparages in the Chalcedians are those that make them excellent defenders against piracy. If he does not care for their services, then perhaps he should... The Chalcedian patrol ships are no more than pirates themselves. They stop legitimate ships with no other intent than extortion. All here know how my live ship Ophelia was injured defending herself from such an unwarranted intrusion. Bingtown ships have never willingly submitted to being boarded by foreigners. Are you suggesting we accept it now? 
The tariffs began simply as reasonable fees. Now they are so complicated to figure that we must accept the word of a hired scribe as to what we owe. The tariffs have one purpose only, to make it unprofitable for us to trade anywhere except Jamelia City. They steal our profits to bind us more tightly to their purse strings. Anyone who has tied up in Jamelia recently can testify that the charges we are paying are not going for dock maintenance there. I doubt if anything has been spent on those docks in the last three years. A general rumble of agreement with some laughter followed his last statement. My ship's boy damn near fell through the last one we tied up to, someone in the back called out. And Doss stands up again saying, I suggest we adjourn before we hear any more about this matter before you accept any more testimony, to see if we should even continue talking about it. Evening draws close to night. Perhaps we should save this matter for a later meeting. And the council kind of disagrees whether they should hear more about it, so they recess to talk about that. Right, they go into their private room to argue freely. And so the room is a little less patient than the waiting that they had for the other two matters, and groups of people start to form, talking yeah, so this whole thing, it really goes to show how things are right now. There is a lot of unrest. It's really precarious. And nobody is quite sure who they're supporting, I think. Yeah, it's quite divided and people have strong opinions on all the different matters. Yes, as people normally do. There is a traitor that comes up to the Tanira family. Specifically, Trader Larfa, who has a live ship Winsome, and says that, yeah, we stand with you, and if you want right now, we'll go and take Ophelia off the tariff dock right now, me and my sons. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll get him the old-fashioned way, but Tommy says that he prefers to wait and see if this can be settled as a group the yeah. way he thinks it should be before he takes matters into his own hands. He wants this to be a Bingtown matter and not a Tanira family matter. Yes. But he wouldn't be alone. There is another family that offered up as well. And Tanira is hoping it doesn't come to that. At that moment, a shouting match broke out elsewhere in the room. Althea half stood and craned her neck. She could see little due to others standing up between her and the dispute, but it seemed to center where Traders Daw and Restart had been seated. You liar, someone accused. You did, and you know you did. Without you, the damn new traitors would never have become so deeply entrenched here. Another voice muttered a bland denial. The council's order keepers were already moving to quell the disturbance. Althea felt her nails bite into her palms. The room was on the edge of breaking into violence, traitor against traitor. This serves no one, she heard herself announce bitterly. By chance, her voice had sounded in a lull in the noise. Heads turned toward her. Even Greg and Tommy Tanira were looking at her in astonishment. She took a breath. If she waited, the council might well adjourn for the night. Precious time would be lost. This might be her only chance to speak. And so she does. Yeah. So who do you think is talking to Trader Devad here and why? Could be anybody. There's a bunch of unnamed traders. Yeah. So, I don't know, someone who's on the side of <laughs> the Taniras and the Vestrits. Fair enough, fair enough. But what is he lying about? That's all I want to know. Like, Probably saying that he didn't work as a go-between or something like that. Mm, fair enough. He's like, no, I didn't do that, you know. 
But Althea is speaking up here, and she's speaking some sense, and people start to listen. Saying, look at us. We squabble like children, traitor against traitor. Ask yourself who wins that battle. We need to find agreement here. We need to speak of the larger matter that confronts us. What is Bingtown becoming? Are we going to bow our heads to the satrap's rules? Accept his tariffs and restrictions no matter how heavy they become? Will we tolerate his hirelings tying up in our harbor? Will we pay to feed and outfit them so they can stop our ships and fleece them before they reach port? Why? Every eye in the room had turned to her, some people resuming their seats, willing to hear what she had to say. She glanced down at a seated Greg. He gave her a nod of encouragement. She felt his mother reach up and take her hand. She gave it a squeeze before releasing it. Althea felt heady with power. My father told me, two years ago, that it would come to this. I am not the traitor he was. But I do not hesitate to repeat his wisdom. A time will come when Bingtown must stand on its own and determine its own future. That is what he told me. I think that time is now. She looked around the room. Kefria, hand over her mouth, stared at her in horror. Devad's face was as red as a turkey's waddle. Some women looked scandalized that one of their sex should speak out so in public. But other traitors nodded, or looked seized by her words. She drew another shuddering breath. There is too much we can no longer tolerate. These so-called new traitors usurp our lands. They know nothing of our ancient sacrifices, nothing of our blood bonds with the rain-wild traitors. They mock our laws with the ta their tattooed slaves. The satrap is no longer content with half our profits. He will take all we have bought with blood and sell it for coin to his new friends, be they new traders or Chalcedian privateers. You're talking rebellion, someone in the back of the room accused. Something inside her turned over. Step forward and admit it, she counseled herself. Yes, I am, she said calmly. She was unprepared for the hubbub that broke out. And because of all this, now the peacekeepers are coming towards her to eject yes. her. But folks were not stepping aside and legs were thrust out or benches shoved in their paths. Nevertheless, eventually they would reach her. Right. She had a few more moments. And this, you're, you're super annoyed by like other aspects of Althea. I am super annoyed all the time by this aspect of her. She doesn't know when to stop. Yeah. She's way too impulsive way too greedy and self-centered in her thoughts of what should be heard. Yeah. She always sabotages herself with another comment. Yeah. And it's consistent throughout the whole trilogy, and it's so annoying to me. She's always so close, too. It's She's always so like, close. People if you stopped were here, supporting her. Yeah, people were in awe. And sure, yeah, some of the women were like, oh my god, a woman speaking? No. But the men were respecting her, and... I mean, I shouldn't say it like that, but the guys with power were like, you can have power too for just a moment. Just but a moment. She had a taste of what it could be if she had a head on her shoulders with sense some of restraint. But instead, she adds on her personal plight. Which, to be fair, I think she's panicking in this moment. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's what she came there to do. That's what she was rehearsing in her head for. Right. But still, like, it's not the right time. I don't know. I think she could have brought this up. I think her last couple lines are where it's over the line. Mm. Because I think it is a good point to bring up, look, the pirates are so bad that 
they've taken a live ship. And do you really think Jamalia is going to do anything to give that back to us? No, that's where you stop. But she just keeps going about how that affects her and how that's important that everybody Mm -hmm. help her for that reason. My father's ship, the Vivacia, a live ship of Rainwild make, has been taken by pirates. I know that some of you have heard the rumors. I stand to tell you it is the truth. The unthinkable has happened. Pirates have taken a Bingtown live ship. Do you think the satraps, Chalcedian mercenaries, will help me recover her? If by chance she does fall into their hands, do you think they will respect a Bingtown claim to her? She will be taken to Jamalia City, as if she were plunder, and kept there. Think but a moment of the Rainwild River, and you know what you, that would mean. I need your help. Bingtown, please, I beg you, stand firm with me. I need money and a ship to go after my birthright. She had not meant to say those words. Her mother gave her a stricken glance of disbelief. Her thought was plain. Althea was making a public claim on the ship as her own. She had meant to speak for her family, but her heart had chosen the words. Sure, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, those last that last little bit kind of turns it into a family plight then. And someone yells out, The Vestrid family brought that on themselves, someone shouted. They let their family ship sail with a foreigner as captain. Shame on them. She talks a good wind, she does, but whom did she ride in with? Devad Restart. And gentlemen, we all know where he stands. Her wild talk is a new traitor trap. If we rise in defiance of the satrap, we cannot expect him to be fair with us. We need to reason with the satrap, not set ourselves up against him. Some are nodding and muttering agreement. Why don't the damn Chalcedian patrol boats go out to rescue the Vivacia? Isn't that what all the new terrorists are about? Paying them to run off the pirates? Why don't they get out there and show us what our money bought? She talks against Chalcedians, but her own sister married one, someone else sneered. Kyle Haven can't help his blood. He's a good captain, someone defended him. Efren Vestret left his ship in that foreigner's hands, another added. He lost it. That's a Vestret problem, not a Bingtown crisis. If they want the ship back, let them pay ransom on it. Althea stood on tiptoe, craning to identify the speaker. Greg identifies him as Traitor Fro. Never stood up for anything in his life, pitches his coins so tight they come away with his fingerprints on them. As if he had heard the words, the traitor Fro asserted, I'm not giving her one copper shared shard of mine. They shamed their ship and Sa took it from them. I heard she was being used as a slaver. Any live ship worth her salt would rather turn pirate than that. You can't mean that, Althea was outraged. You can't dismiss her like that. There's a boy on that ship, my nephew. However you regard his father, you cannot deny he is a traitor stock. The ship herself is Bingtown. And then the order keepers get there. Yes. So things have kind of devolved. It was almost good. People were uh, yes. sitting and listening. It was close. And then and it was And then not. it became about <laughs> her. And it was more important that she gets her ship back yep. instead of the greater good for all. And that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's not as compelling of an argument as she thinks it is. <laughs> Credit to her, things start to again grow maybe more violent. Greg starts to block an order keeper to Althea. There's a crash of kindling. Uh, It was the spark in the kindling, a bench overturned with a crash because someone yells out, the council is recessed, no one is to speak right now. You do not even have the council's permission to speak. She is not the traitor for the Vestrid family. In the interest of order, she must go. So she's trying to prevent any fighting or physical action being taken when she announces that she will go quietly. 
I didn't come here to cause trouble. I came here to ask for help. I've asked. I also came to stand up in favor of the Tanira family. It is wrong for Ophelia to be detained at the tariff dock. They have no legal claim on any of her cargo. If any of you want to help the Vestra traders, you know where our home is. You will be welcomed and you will hear our full tale. But I won't be named as the one at fault for a riot in the traders' concourse. I'm leaving now. Peacefully. And to Greg, she says, stay here. Maybe the council will hear you out. So just let me go. Right. She's going to go wait outside. Head up and unescorted, she moved through the crowd. She could do no more good there tonight, and others seemed to share her opinion. Some other families started to leave as well. All over the room, the order had broken down. Traders stood in small knots, some talking quietly, others arguing with wild hand gestures and raised voices. Althea picked her way past all of them. A glance showed her that her own family had remained. Good. Perhaps they might yet have a chance to speak out officially for rescuing Vivacia. And she steps outside and sees no sign of Brashen or Amber. And reluctantly, she turns her steps towards Devad's carriage. It was nearly at the end of the long line of carriages. So she makes her peace. We've kind of talked ad nauseum about it. Just kind of uh, ragged on her a bit for adding that <laughs> end. So I won't add too much more. I do find it really interesting that things are awful. This was not a good reaction. And she's kind of like, oh, well, no. that's all I could do. Yeah. There's not even an acknowledgement of like, this is my fault. I shouldn't have. Like there was that little line of like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. But how can I help it if that's what my heart wanted to say? I know. There's no. She ruined her chance of her family officially speaking up for help. Yes. She ruined the chance of the Tamiras talking any further about it because she just stirred up so much trouble. With her announcement of, like, treason. And not great. Uh, so close. So close, Althea. It was very stirring. Good speech. Didn't quite stick the landing. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's that vestrit self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. Main character syndrome. So she heads outside towards Devadra Start's carriage to wait for the others. And the team, old and placid as they were, snorted restively and pawed. She sees the driver has vanished. Blood ran down the door of the carriage, thick and black in the twilight. A slaughtered pig, its throat cut wide, lolled halfway out of the carriage window. Spy was written in blood over the restart coat of arms. Althea felt dizzy with disgust. And behind her, the meeting seems to have wrapped up, so people were coming out. Everybody's leaving now, so everybody's about to see this. I don't understand this reaction. Althea just spent what, four or five pages talking about how embarrassed Devad made her feel and how he was doing all the wrong things and he's siding with the bad side. He is not making good choices. She just heard somebody, she heard somebody say that he's a liar or at least the area where he was sitting. He's a liar and was helping the new traders and then other people in her speech discredit her because she came with him and that means she has to be working with the this new traders This is a bit too. far though, leaving a slaughtered pig. No, yeah, <laughs> that's what, but how she reacts to that afterwards. Oh, to stuff it, that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just, yeah. So she just spent all that time, we're keeping in mind, she knows he's not well liked, not a good person. He doesn't stand for anything that she believes in and will not help her in any way that is 
tangible to getting her ship back. And yet... Well, Ronica reaches her side first, saying that the council adjourned. They'll have a private meeting to see if they can hear. Sa's breath. Portavad. How could anyone do this to him? From somewhere, Greg appeared. After one horrified look, he took Althea's arm. Come away. I'll see that you and your family get home safely home. You don't want to be involved in this. No, she agreed grimly. I don't. Neither does tra Traitor Restart, I'll wager. I won't abandon him here, Greg. I can't. Althea, think. This isn't someone's impulsive nastiness. Someone planned this. This pig was brought here for this purpose before anyone spoke to the council. It's a serious threat. That's why I can't let Devad face it alone. Greg, he is an old man with no real family left. If his friends abandon him, he's alone. Maybe he deserves to be alone. Greg kept his voice low. He kept glancing at the knot of gawkers forming around the carriage. He obviously wanted to get away from it. How can you accept how he thinks, Althea? How can you let him drag your family into this? I don't accept how he thinks. I accept who he is. He is a wrong-headed old fool, but he has been like an uncle to me for as long as I can remember. Whatever he has done, he doesn't deserve this. She looks past him and sees Devad approaching with Trader Daw, arms linked. Daw sees the pig first and unlinks arms and runs away from Devad. Yeah. And Devad comes up saying, what's this? I don't understand this. Why? Who has done this? Where is my driver? Did the coward run away then? Look at the leather. It's ruined. It's completely ruined. He sent a bewildered look around the crowd that had gathered. In the back, someone guffawed loudly. Others simply stared. No one expressed horror or disgust. They were watching him to see what he would do. Althea's eyes traveled from face to face. They seemed strangers to her, more foreign than Jamalian new traders. She did not know Bingtown anymore. So she asks Greg to take her family away while she stays and helps Trader restart. She has empathy, that's why. She's doing it. <laughs> Whatever. I don't... I think of myself as a pretty empathetic person. You are to real people. <laughs> Fair. You are savage to book characters. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I do not understand the thought, Althea's thought process in this. Her safety is at risk and she can have somebody ask somebody to get Devada ride home too. She doesn't need to be the one directly involving herself in this right you know what i mean like there are other That's ways who she is it, though it is who she is but there are other ways to go about this that don't put her directly in danger yeah and but if she did that it would feel out of character in my opinion i guess but it just ugh, i don't know and i hate that <laughs> i hate that greg brings up the valid point of how can you accept him and devod's ways yeah, and the Althea, way he thinks. Yeah, the way he thinks. And Althea's like, I don't accept the way he thinks. I just accept him. So you do accept the way he thinks because right. you're allowing. That's a part of him. Yeah. Like, this isn't, he likes blue and you like red. Oh, well. This is, this is something that I don't know what Robin Hobb is going after. And I feel like it's a late 90s early 2000s kind of sentiment of loyalty and friends come first maybe as opposed to 
how I've grown into an adult and bent and thought like family can get cut off. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. people are just that bad of people and you don't need them in your life and toxic, you know, or friends can get cut off. You don't have to stick by them because you've known them a long time. Yeah. If they're awful, don't stick with them. And I, I, and I really wonder if Robin Hobb is going after the, this is a character flaw for the Vestrits, or if this is a good thing, because in the whole last book, Ronica goes through staying close to Cirilla, who kind of upended her whole life and stole their thing, to clear Devad's name as a traitor. So yeah. I, I, I don't understand this plot point as like a good thing. And I don't know if it's a kind of a moral point that Robin Hobb is trying to put in here as like, this is a virtuous family and these are traits that virtuous families have, or if right. this is just yeah, a I guess extra trait. <laughs> that's a good point. I feel like at least in American society, for sure we can speak on because that's who we right. are. Um, it is more of a, modern idea that if there is a strong disagreement in morals it is okay to then cut ties with that person it doesn't have to be a dramatic thing and it doesn't need to be this like big burning of bridges it's just a recognizing that fundamentally you are very different people and if one of you thinks that slavery is okay and the other doesn't that's not really a reconcilable difference. Yeah. And especially yeah. when they have direct impact on making slavery okay and you don't, of course you're going to cut that off. You don't, why would you continue to support somebody who does that? And I think especially because, I don't know, I guess I don't know how things were in the early 2000s or whenever the, in the 90s, but I think especially in today's age where Things feel more serious. We're a lot more connected in the world because of the prevalence of social media. It's just a different sentiment altogether of like, actually, your morals do matter. And if they right. don't align with me, I don't really need to spend time with you because on a we're different people. Yeah. yeah. On a fundamental level, we do not agree. So why would we want to stay, hang around each other? Yeah. And that's fine. Like you said, some people are toxic and bad. And that doesn't make you a bad person for excusing yourself from their presence. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So for, for the case of this book, it's just kind of like, I can suspend my disbelief right. that this is what she would do. It's just in the back of my head all the time about the vestrits in general. Like why? Yeah. <laughs> my 2000, my 2020s morals <laughs> right. doesn't allow me to accept this as something that's virtuous of the vestrits. Drop him. <laughs> Your friends are right. Drop him. <laughs> so Althea stays behind, tells Greg to help her family out, and the family does go. I don't think any of you should have to deal with this, Greg says acidly as Althea's like, I don't think Malta should have to deal with this. And yeah. Greg's like, none of you should. But he was too well-bred to refuse. So Althea is there by herself. Calm down as she takes Devad's arm. Don't let them see you are rattled. Heedless of the blood, she jerked the door of the carriage open. The stubborn carcass rode in the window still. It was a runty pig. No one had sacrificed good stock to do this. In death, its bowels had relaxed. Althea reminded herself that blood was no stranger to her. 
She'd seen far too much slaughter in the barrens to be put off by a bit of pig blood now. Boldly, she sees the animal, dead animal's hind legs. A sharp tug freed it from the window. She let it drop to the street. She glanced at Devad, who stared at her wide-eyed. Blood and awful had soiled the front of her robe. She ignored it. Can you climb up into the box? she asked. He shakes his head. Then you'll have to ride inside. The other seat is almost clean. Take my handkerchief. The scent on it will help. So she slams the door after him as he climbs in. He's not really saying much. And she climbs up and takes the reins. She kicked the, off the brake and shook the reins, hopefully. The horses started moving forward at an uncertain walk. From sailor to driver, that's the girl for Greg. Think of the money they'll save on hired help, cried someone in the crowd. Someone else hooted loudly in appreciation. Althea kept her eyes forward and her chin up. She slapped the reins on the team and they lurched into a trot. She trusted they'd know the way home, even in the gathering dark. She wasn't sure if she did anymore. That last line just seems to me as a play on, she doesn't even know who the Bingtowners are anymore. And right. where the morals gone astray and everything like that. Which, you know, fair. People were standing around to see what Devad was going to do. And not being disgusted by the act. Right. It is really hard because obviously Devad is still friends with most of the traders. And I think a lot of them are doing business deals with him with the new traders. But he does get stuck with the onus of being the bad one. He It seems from the rumors that he's almost preying upon the destitute old trader families. Right. To line his pockets. I mean, yeah. And after we just went on the whole rant about how he's like morally corrupt and a bad person. Now I'm defending him. But I do think that there are people in the society in these families who are just as bad, if not worse. Oh, I'm sure. But he's the only one with no family to back him up. Yeah. And he's a social outcast. He doesn't follow societal rules in like the human contract sort of sense of what proper etiquette is. And so I don't know. The easy target. Yeah. He is an easy target. He's unlikable. Mm -hmm. So it's his fault and not anybody else's that things are the way that it is. Everybody needs a scapegoat or scape pig. (laughs) And it is awful that that did happen, but man, things could have been handled differently. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. You know what I I mean? (laughs) I wouldn't, I don't think anybody deserves dead animals and blood written on their stuff ever, but he isn't making good choices. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, Devadra di- Start. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Interesting chapter. Interesting chapter. Yeah. I have to ask. So the chapter name is Wishes Fulfilled. Wishes Fulfilled. What was Althea's wish that got f- fulfilled? You know, I'm not sure. Because this is a reaction to Wintra's wish fulfilled, right? Right. And maybe Althea's wish is to see Brashen again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Or a chance to speak. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe it was that she wanted to be heard at yeah. the Trader Council. And she was. And just like Wintra's wish of getting rid of his father. More than she bargained it's for there. the monkey's paw wish. Yeah. You can be heard at the Traders Council, but <laughs> you're going to start a disruption. And also all the people that you don't want meeting 
are going to come together and make it really awkward for you. So now, I know this isn't the case. However, did Amber do it? Ooh. Ooh. I'm pretty sure we she would never kill an animal an animal to do this. Or Brashen would not do this either. Because like... Brashen he, for sure wouldn't. He doesn't care about Devon Restart at all. But... It's set up kind of like that. That's true. It at does. the beginning, Brashen and Amber are there. She is staring daggers and hatred at Devadra's start. They go in and Althea comes out expecting to see Brashen and Amber because they wouldn't really be welcome in the, the hall mm-hmm. and they're nowhere to be found. And then she finds the the dead pig in yeah. Devad's carriage. No, I definitely don't think Amber's capable. I think it is It is a really good red herring. Yeah, it's but, straight up set up like that, I think. Yeah, but no, I think I think it's definitely whoever was like, you're a liar, you did work with the new traders. <laughs> it was that person. <laughs> whoever that was, that's who did it. Maybe we find out who that is later, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... We have to deal with the aftermath of that and probably a lot of people being angry at Althea later. Yeah. And Wintrow being upset at everything. True. You know, I kind of wish I had a little bit more Althea in me. I wish I could do ridiculous things that are selfish and just walk away being like, well. I did all that I could do. (laughs) I I did what I could. (laughs) That wasn't so bad as there's chaos in my wake. I wish. (laughs) I wish that was how I reacted to situations that didn't go exactly how I had planned out in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Do you have any final thoughts on the chapter? Mm, I feel bad. I was kind of whiny this week, but. I mean, all both of us were very harsh on all the characters, right? Yeah. I just, we love them after the fun adventure of last chapter. And don't get me wrong, it was a Kenneth adventure, and he's an awful person, but, like, action happened, and it was a fun yeah. adventure. All of the really whiny characters showed up in this one, and yeah. it just wasn't as fun. <laughs> yeah, it, that's fair. It's back to the politics and less action. I do like politics in books. Don't get me wrong. No, yeah, I agree. I really do, and it's very interesting this time around to read closer into that because I know the first time I read it, for example, I paid attention to what was happening, but I was like, things are happening in other places that are more interesting. Right. And I don't know. This time it's interesting to see and pay attention to all the different kind of nuances yeah. of opinions of things, but it's just not quite as interesting talking about it That's in depth. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. Less action going on. I do. I do think it's nice, though, to have characters where we're able to kind of rag on them and they have like (laughs) enough roundness and depth to them that they do have these sides where we can nitpick and be like, wow, that's a bad decision. But like they have to. Right. It's the Achilles heel. There has to be something. The hero's onus or whatever. There has to be something to drive the plot. So obviously they're all going to make bad decisions, even if we want them to make better decisions. But yeah, yeah, we still get to complain about them because it's our podcast and (laughs) 
<laughs> and suck it up. Is that what that shrug was? <laughs> I I will be a little Althea. This is <laughs> Saw told me it's okay. So <laughs> well, if you guys have things to complain about, please let us know. Isfitshappy at gmail.com or go to our website, isfitshappy.com, and you can find the links to all of our social medias there. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I said already, YouTube, I was missing out on, and threads. There we go. Yes. I do this like every week. You'd think I have that completely memorized. No, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if the if the social medias would stop changing their names. True. <laughs> I did just, you know, go back to saying Twitter instead of X now because it's annoying. Well, everybody knows what you're talking about. True. I wonder if somebody out there doesn't. <laughs> Maybe somebody they've born only, in like 2012. They've only known it as X. <laughs> it hasn't even been a year yet. All the 12-year-olds right. out there. Sorry. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. See you guys next week. All right. Now we get to talk about the things you guys have brought to our attention. We're going to start off with a comment from Facebook from listener Cookie Baker. Yeah, so Cookie Baker is kind of talking about, I mean, this is about last episode, our Kenneth episode, mm -hmm. and talking about how it's refreshing to hear it from us and think about it as if we were reading it the first time. Because we talked about that a little bit of like our first impressions right, or, yeah. you know, talk about that. So, so thanks for that. But also uh, mostly speaking about Sa'adar in their comment here how he seemed truly a broken man and is recalling what Fitz spoke about in the first trilogy that some people after torture fight everything and some people just back down from any sort of confrontation and thinks that's kind of Sa'adar's track. Right, with Etta and Wintrow and I guess Kennet previously, whenever they fight or hit him, attack him, he kind of just takes it and doesn't retaliate. Yeah. It just, I mean, he's stunned and he doesn't stop speaking back to them. I think Cookie Baker also says this is probably because of his stubbornness. Yes. But there is that sense of being stunned when he is attacked, mm -hmm. which is a really good point and a great tie in to Fitz's analogy that. That's a trauma response. Yeah, people react differently. Guy Baker also states that we do know Sa'adar was a priest who refused to accept the new teachings of the Jamalian Monastery about slavery, so his strength and his weakness have always been that stubbornness of always believing he alone knows what is right. He seems to me like a broken person. Rest in peace, Sa'adar. So it's, uh, it's kind of a sum up of who he is which i thought was nice so thank you very much for that comment yeah it is it is a good point and even though we don't usually agree with sadar's points and think that he's not that great of a person he's still a really rounded character and kind of tragic in a lot of ways he is yeah because he really is just kind of a cog <laughs> in the machine of life in this book and i don't know it's really sad for him i suppose yeah 
Cookie Baker, I do want to mention, also finished out their comment with something about Igret and Kennet. They also appreciated the story about the hidden island where Kennet grew up, the treasure island, Igret's lost treasure, just kind of that like fantasy story inside the larger narrative that we were also talking about. Yeah. They said that Igret has also been to Claris with Paragon and they advised him on how to gain his kingdom. So the past cycle of violence that spurs Kenneth to try to erase and rewrite has been helped along by the Claris folk. I don't remember that. Do you? I don't, but I... It almost sounds familiar. Yeah. I, I just don't... The only time I can think of Paragon and Claris mentioned together is in the last trilogy. When I, they go there. I'm sure we'll find out from Paragon. That must be, he must tell the story. Yeah. Because Kenneth's not going to tell us. <laughs> That's true. So that would leave Paragon. And I don't think it would be talked about in a different trilogy. I'll be, I'll be on the lookout for that. Because if it's true, if Igret did go to Claris and get his fortune told or something like that, and maybe that's what spurred Kenneth to visit other island to get a prophecy mm-hmm. and like belief in that sort of thing then that is very interesting development because then the uh the claris people the whites there kind of directed igret down a dark path do you think if this really did happen do you think that means that kenneth is a catalyst of sorts because he was able to get rid of igret or was that the plan all along? They knew he wouldn't survive. No idea. That's wild speculation. It is. But I've said before in other questions that you've had like that, that everyone is kind of a catalyst, right? Yeah. Just depends on their strength. Saw agrees with you. Yes. <laughs> so thank you, Cookie Baker, so much for that comment. Yes. We'll be on the lookout for the uh, Paragon Claris Igret connection. Yeah, and speaking of talking about Sadar, we had a listener, Anna, write in to tell us about her theories and thoughts on Sadar. Anna poses the question of if Sadar had stayed on Key Island, do you think he could have teamed up with Kyle to make a dream team to go against Kenneth? Or if you just kill Or would Kyle. he just kill Kyle? Yeah. I want to make some good points here of just like maybe his hatred of Kenneth and the desire to own Vivacia would supersede his hatred of Kyle. But I don't know if I believe it. Just from what we've had, they seem to be kind of equal. And never really distinguished between the two. He never really had to weigh one or the other, right? I feel like if he was prevented from seeing Kyle for a long, long time, maybe he could get over the hatred of Kyle and start to think of, like, what am I going to do when I get off this island? But I don't know if he could ever team up with Kyle. I feel like he could use Kyle as a means to an end. Maybe. And I maybe in my mind, the way this would work is only if he gets imprisoned next to Kyle. Yeah. By true. by Dej and Sela. Yes, because that's what the threat was if he tried to mess with Kyle. That's fair. So if they're chained together, I feel like 
then they make an a truce of of sorts because now they're in the same position. Sadar maybe gains a little bit more sympathy for Kyle. Kyle is yeah I, willing to work with anybody to get out of this situation. I can buy into that. That's yeah, I could see that being the only way. So I think in that case they would work together and somehow get out and could maybe take Kenneth on, but I don't know because Kenneth's pretty wily. He could take a lot. He he killed like eight people in a fight against himself when he was half dressed and true. Like was yeah not He's expecting a good them. So it, last book was it? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I think he could take them. <laughs> <laughs> so even if they would be a good team and could get over their differences to work together. I don't know. But thank you, Anna, for giving that idea and giving us a chance to think about it. Also, Anna talks about how it makes sense for Kenneth to feel scorn and his disgust of his mother and going back home. Right. Because those were places that didn't keep him safe and they should have. Yes. His mother reminds him of his lost innocence. To me, it's like saying, that bad thing couldn't happen to me now. I'm not that helpless boy anymore. But being there, it makes him feel more vulnerable than he's used to. It makes him revert to that, which is kind of what we discussed. And I, yeah. I like the, the way that it's put here. So Yeah. And obviously, like Anna says, Kenneth hates being vulnerable. So, yeah, it was a good point that there's definitely that deeper thing going on there. And the disgust is definitely a protective layer to try to disguise the hurt. And finally, Anna says that she's very excited to talk about next book in juxtaposition with what happens to Althea Mm -hmm. and how Wintrow and Etta both excuse that atrocity and how in this chapter we had so clearly at standing up for ankle and Wintrow as well. And both of them are characters so far that are willing to stand up and go against the crowd for things that they believe in. And when they know things are wrong. Right. So it'll be really interesting to see why they choose not to do that when it comes to Kenneth and Althea. Well, we'll have to remember and see it, I guess, and talk about it. But when Etta asks, asks Althea, she believes her instantly. Yes. When she answers. And then yeah. Wintrow believes after Etta says that it's true. Right. Which, ugh. But yeah. whatever. <laughs> we'll get there. So, yeah, yeah, we will get there. It, it will be interesting to compare the two situations. Like Anna says, and you pointed out, they do stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves quite often and seem to have general empathy Edda's is a little bit behind a more um, thorny exterior yes but especially when Edda the fact that Edda does believe Althea and yet still doesn't do anything it is it is kind of a weird thing especially from what we've seen so far so we'll definitely talk about that and we will get there eventually Mm -hmm. but yeah it'll be it'll be good to see how that goes so thank you Anna for writing in we had an email from Jonas as well, kind of speaking on Kenneth and his attitudes, because this was a Kenneth heavy chapter. We got lots of messages about Kenneth, which is great. Yes. 
he's a lot of people's he's a lot of people's favorite character yeah i won't say favorite person because no. <laughs> i don't think i would hesitate uh shaking hands with anybody who called him their favorite person but yeah he he's an interesting and compelling character yeah. he just is mm-hmm. and he is the better version of regal in my opinion because i think regal is just as pitiful and like worthy of that pity i think they both had things happen in their childhood and people near them that didn't protect them the way they should have you know there's a lot going on obviously Kenneth had it they were it's very different what yes. happened to them but i do think that Kenneth is more likable yeah. he's a, he's a, a we lot get, we get Kenneth's head as well true. which kind of makes him more unlikable yeah. so he's like a little <laughs> bit opposite in that because i'm sure if we were in regal's head and his point of view he would be more likable uh, i don't I know think he would i don't because he's like he he's very i don't know the word regal I'm truly for. believes in himself though like truly believes that that he's doing the right thing no yeah I agree, but like Kenneth he also being doesn't like anybody that isn't in his ideal of normal. Sure. <laughs> so I feel like sure. in his head wouldn't be that much better. It'd be like okay. getting a Kyle point of view. And <laughs> okay. okay. In some ways. I don't know. I don't. Maybe not. Maybe he would be a little bit more likable. Depends on how self-aware he is, I guess. But anyways, Jonas, <laughs> we yes. kind of tangent here. Jonas is uh, focusing more on Kenneth as a child and our brief discussion about that and how we were comparing young Kenneth to a Malta-like character. And Jonas more sees him as an energetic boy, you know, climbing trees with full of dreams and things like that. And I don't think the two exclude one another. I think... What we were going for, and maybe Emma can correct me because I think she brought it up first, is that Kenneth was also probably spoiled senseless. Mm-hmm. And yes, he was a boy running wild and carefree and loved the world and was curious about things and had big dreams about stuff. But he was an only child uh, and told from when he was five years old that he was going to be a king of this island. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, he wasn't kept humble. And, uh, and I see that with Malta as well. So I think, I mean, cor- again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what you were going for of the more spoiled, silly, but not necessarily the uh, spiteful attitudes that Malta has. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would agree. I think that was what I was going for is more the spoiled aspect. But also Malta was a normal kid, too, at one point. She only is this cynical because of her family circumstances of cutting her out of society, which is something she craves because that's where she gets attention. And Wintrow leaving. And Wintrow leaving. That definitely had a big impact on her. Mm -hmm. But in general... I think she probably was normal. I, Wintrow says when he left, they were really close yeah. and she was normal. <laughs> so I don't know. I think they probably are similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. But Jonas says that he thinks Ken, young Kenneth was, you know, full of youthful energy and carelessness. And that still shines through in his character. 
We see it in his inner monologue. We see it in the way he enjoys letting his plans unfold. He still has that childlike quality of playfulness, except it now inhabits a wrecked, traumatized, and forged battle-hardened pirate. When all those terrible things happened to young Kenneth, all young optimism and idealism turned into hurt, pain, sadness, and eventually hate, resentment, and bitterness. But you can't grow that bitter without first believing in the world. And again, like, I, I truly agree with this take. Yeah. But I also think that he was super spoiled. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think at any point Kenneth was destined to be a purely good person. His self-centered attitude did not come out of nowhere. That was Let's that's not that. necessarily a trauma response. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a personality trait. And it is definitely made worse by the trauma he has suffered. But I, I truly believe he would not have been a good person even without the trauma. Right. So Jonas also brings up a quick kind of talk about Sa'adar in this as well. Yeah. Saying, I'm not sure he ever believed Sa'adar would remain on Key Island. Kenneth is smarter than that. Good point that the lure of Ken- Kyle might have been his one shot, but mostly I think he brought the man along so he could get some alone time with him. And we were talking about that too, and I thought, you were wondering if I thought Kenneth truly believes Saadar would stay there. Yeah. And I said, I think he hoped Saadar would stay. Yeah. And didn't mind killing him at the end. I reread the passage and Kenneth was truly angry that Sa'adar wouldn't listen to him. Yeah. And now I've kind of revised away from this even more and saying like, no, I think Kenneth truly believed that Sa'adar would listen to him because that's who Kenneth is. He's supremely confident in himself and his ability to sway people with his words. And he was so happy that he was finally doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He was so supremely in his own element. And Sadar's the only one that ruined it. Yeah, he wasn't playing the part. Yeah. So I truly think Kenneth deluded himself into thinking that it would work and he would stay. Maybe he went into the whole thing bringing the knife just in case, right? Yeah. Something might go wrong. I can still do this. That's that's the Kenneth we know. He's prepared for everything. But while he was on the island, I truly think that Kenneth convinced himself that everything was going correctly and Sadar would stay. That's fair. Yeah, I kind of think that too. I it just the way that he keeps giving Sadar every opportunity to yeah. Fix Stay it. To fix. Very Malta-like, actually, in yeah. this, too. Yeah. Play your part. <laughs> yep. This is the play that I have set up in my head and haven't told you about. Do what I want you to. It's... I... So, I don't know. But I also think there is a part of him... Like, he's not going to assume it will go 100% to plan. No, yeah. He definitely knows it's a strong possibility. Yeah. It just... I don't know. I don't think he was going in like, yay, a chance to kill Sadar. Yeah. And I think while Kenneth really does appreciate knowing he can do things on his own, if he was on the ship, I think you'd have just commanded someone to kill him. Fair enough. If he really wanted to, you know? I don't know. Well, we'll finish Jonas's email with the question that he leaves for us How do we imagine Kenneth's voice? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even think about that. I don't really imagine voices when I read. That's fair. Um, 
I, <laughs> this is so dumb. I, I think of Kenneth as sounding and looking <laughs> just like Captain Hook, but specifically the Captain Hook from Hook with Robin Hobb. Or sorry, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, um, who is the guy who plays Lucius Malfoy. I don't know his real name, but yeah, that actor, <laughs> just so silly and goofy. That's not that's not who plays Hook, isn't it? No, it's Dustin Hoffman. The guy who plays Lucius Malfoy is Jason Isaacs. Oh, he must do something else. No, there's a different. No, I'm thinking um, Peter Pan, um, the live action one from like the early 2000s. You know. What I mean? Oh. Hold on. Um. 2003. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see. I see. That's that's Lucius. Jason yes. Isaacs, Captain Hook, also the dad of Wendy, which apparently is always supposed to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize ever. But anyway, that, sorry. That's how you picture Kenneth? That's Kenneth. Interesting. I mean, he's got the... He's like kind of hot. Hair and stuff. He's got blue eyes. He's flamboyant. I don't know. Interesting. A little so, too flamboyant for, for Kenneth, I think. Maybe. Kenneth is uh, refined. Uh, but uh, but I can see I can see the, the general look. Yeah. Sorcore is definitely Smee, too. I don't... That they're... It's forever. That's just who they are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in terms of Jonas's question, I think more of a genteel, well-bred, smooth talker is how I picture Kenneth. I don't really have a specific voice, but not typical pirate. No yo-ho, yo-ho from him? No. no. Okay. Well, thank you for giving us that to ponder. If anybody wants to write in and tell us how they either imagine Kenneth to look or sound, we would love to hear your guys' opinion. So thank you, Jonas, for that. Jess sent in an email as well. And once again, it's about Kenneth. (laughs) (laughs) But it's about Kenneth and his mother. And she brings up the passage from early on in Ship of Magic, I think, chapter one about his eyes and how he relates them to his mother. Yes. I actually was thinking about this during the whole chapter and I didn't ever find a place to say anything about it. So thank you Jess for writing in so that Mm -hmm. we can talk about this. But the quote is the only feature that displeased him were his eyes. They were his mother's eyes, pale and watery and blue. When he encountered their stare in the looking glass, she looked out of, of them at him, distressed and teary at his dissolute ways. They seemed to him the vacuous eyes of an idiot, out of place with the tamed face. In another man, folk would have said that he had mild blue eyes, inquiring eyes. Kenneth strove to cultivate a cold blue stare, but knew his eyes were too pale even for that. Wow, harsh. (laughs) Just says wow, harsh. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a really good point that... Even at the very beginning, we have these hints of this disdain he feels towards his mother and the disdain of 
this watery crybaby. That's what his eyes make him think of. And that's how he describes her later on. And that's how we meet her, right? right? She's just blubbering all the time and he doesn't know why she cries so much. And yeah, I think it's a really good point. It's, it's so early too. I don't know. It's so good. It's so well done. Yeah. And he just keeps his, keeps that image in his head of his mother like that. Right. And it's, and Jess points out that it's further evidence of that vulnerability that we talked about. He feels the vulnerability when he faces his mother and her feelings and his past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of talk about Kenneth and it kind of all wraps up and it seems like most of you guys agree with us that he doesn't like going back to the island because he feels vulnerable. It brings him back to that childlike state. And that was when bad things happened. And he feels out of control there. And he has plans, as we talked about too in that chapter, to, once his mother passes away, to bring control back to that place. To bring a kingdom there and build up the defenses and make it secure again after he has made the manor, the big house, exactly like it was. Right. And I think the reason that he's putting that off until the death of his mother is because he doesn't feel like he'll ever be able to feel secure with her there. She's always a loose end. She's always something people can go after him for. Yeah. So he wants to keep it secret until she's gone. Yeah. And I think that in his own way is how he is trying to protect her. Yeah. I think he, so too. He doesn't want her to face what she did again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he does steer the conversation away when he does scare her with talking about maybe moving to the big house and right. yeah, he's not careful of her feelings at all, but he doesn't go out of his way to distress her. Right. And he, and he doesn't force her to bend to his will like he does with everybody else. Right. When she didn't want to go to the house, he's like, okay, you're right. This is actually better for you. So I don't know. Thank you everybody for writing in. Yeah. It's always good to hear you guys' thoughts. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.